0: Hi, I'm Jim Stroud and this is my podcast. Project Veritas, a news organization known for its undercover journalism, is reporting that Facebook is allegedly prioritizing the hiring of overseas nationals in order to reduce the number of American employees. Here are some clips from their latest report.
1: Tell me about how you came upon this document. In my normal course of work, it happened to come across my desk. The highly troubling entries in the leaked document are found on page six, quote, when hiring for HR positions, it's important to prioritize H-1B visa workers. The second item, quote, priority may be given to H-1B applicants from China and Korea. So Steve, assuming this document is a legitimate Facebook document, how would you characterize it overall from a legal perspective?
0: Well, James, I think it raises serious concerns under federal and state anti-discrimination law specifically as it would relate to discriminating based on national origin.
1: I've seen the the destruction and the damage that this uh, H-1B visa issue has caused. Living in the Bay Area, there is a very large portion of homeless. These are Americans with degrees and jobs that no longer have these jobs and have been replaced by um, HOD visa workers. This has to stop, someone needs to do something.
0: Whether this incident with Facebook is true or not, it underscores a very long debate that companies have been arguing ad nauseum. In a nutshell, there are not enough skilled workers in the USA so they have to be hired from overseas. The counter argument to that is that companies want to hire more overseas workers simply because they can pay them less than American workers. To be fair, there is evidence supporting both sides of the equation. I will link to several articles concerning this topic on jimstroud.com. However, for the remainder of this podcast, I want to share a discussion I had on the Recruiters Lounge podcast with Karen and way back on February 5th, 2008. Now, if you're a regular listener to my podcast, no doubt you've heard the Retro Lounge podcast, which features the classic episodes of the Recruiters Lounge podcast. The title of this podcast is the title of the episode, rather, of the Recruiter's Knowledge podcast from February 5th, 2008 was, I Cry Bull, There Is No Talent Shortage. And this was the original description. Uh, Jim and Karen, well, mostly Karen, discussed the myth of the talent shortage, a popular topic among many in HR, the recession, the economy, and how it all affects recruiting. Tune in now to hear the rants, complaints, disagreements, emotional outbursts, and political discourse that have become commonplace in this podcast. Smile. That is the original description. Stay tuned and hear how the arguments over talent shortage and H-1B visas have been going on for at least 2008. (laughs) Right after
1: this. Recruitment marketing as compared to maybe employer branding, is all about getting your message and your story in front of the right audience. It's a lot to manage. And what Practive Talent does for our clients is we help centralize so you have one partner, one vendor to help you manage all those relationships. And not only that, we help you track the effectiveness of every media dollar you spend on hiring so that you know in real time that you're getting the greatest ROI for your marketing investment to attract great talent into your company. We help our clients with recruitment marketing in a couple ways. One is a recruitment marketing strategy. And with that, we really take the time to help you build the right strategy. And then we get mutual approval on that strategy before you spend a single dime. The other way we do this is through our agency of record service. This is a partnership with you where we're able to reach out to publishers on your behalf to negotiate better pricing, to execute on media campaigns, uh, and really act as an extension of your team. Some of the benefits that our clients have seen working with practical talents, recruitment marketing services, is an overall reduction of 30% cost per applicant. That's really significant. It's showing that we're able to leverage great technology, programmatic, and we're also flexible and scalable. We're platform agnostic. We're always gonna use whatever the greatest and latest technology is, whatever the best platforms are to help create efficiencies in your media purchasing so that you're always on the cutting edge. For more information on Proactive Talent,
0: visit them online at ProactiveTalent.com or click the link in the podcast description.
2: This is the long-suffering Jim Stroud and my co-host, Karen Madden. How are you, Karen?
3: I'm fine, and thanks, Jim, for having me on why,
2: why do I say I'm long-suffering today? Pardon me? Why am I saying that I'm long-suffering?
3: Because you just heard an airful of me ranting and ranting. Yes, ringing.
2: yes, I did, and you know what? I had to cut you off and say, look, why don't you just rant on the air so people can hear this so they can share in my pain as well. Well, although it is although it is quite interesting and although we have been arguing back and forth on it for a while, I want to get other people to listen to uh what you have to say as well, and maybe get some comments and feedbacks from them, and then we'll see uh where the argument will end or continue
3: well, okay, first off, um, I gotta say thank you for letting me put this out there because this is so important mm-hmm. I mean right now, our economy. Is pretty much one of the worst it has been, and it's been like this for over a year. People That's are
2: not what economists saying. That's not what I hear in the news. I hear the uh, news
3: actually, that go
2: ahead. I hear in the news that we're doing pretty good, actually. Well, and, well, actually, let me take that back. I've, I've been hearing until recently oh, okay. that we've been doing pretty
3: well. Well, then you really need to read the DO, Department of Labor statistics, and then also start watching a site which is um, called epi dot org, which is what the economists use. Okay. But NP, uh,
2: NP.org?
3: EPI.org.
2: What does it stand for?
3: These guys, I don't remember what it stands for, but these guys do the economy. They're they actual physical researchers who do a lot of research on the economy. It's very accurate, very specific. Most economists use it. And the reason it becomes more, it's considered to be one of the most accurate out there because it's non aligned, not political.
2: It's always oh, it's an independent firm
3: it's an independent firm but what what actually utilizes resources from other places as well like university schools and such like too right.
2: some okay kind of, some kind of think tank
3: now here's the situation that a lot of people don't know and that's just so shocking that hmm. unemployment jobs right now you know unemployment has been actually this is i mean it this is is so shocking to me okay i I'm, i got to get this kind of like into the calm, Karen, calm down kind of situation, okay? Please. But unemployment has been pathetically bad for the past year plus.
2: In what markets?
3: Unemployment numbers, the claim job claims, had been going down for the past year, 2007. For all of 2007, the economy added 1.3 million new jobs, a million fewer than were added in 2006.
2: Okay, now some people may hear that and say a million jobs is good. What do you think would would have been good?
3: Okay, a million jobs fewer.
2: That means we had
3: less than half, almost close to less than half the amount of jobs. But yet unemployment kept being at 4.5%.
2: So you're saying it doesn't make sense to lose a million jobs uh, a quarter, so a quarter or a year?
3: You can't afford to lose jobs when you have Well, every, I know, when
2: well, you can't afford to lose jobs, period. But,
3: period. But you can't also, especially when the fact that you every year we have another couple million people entering the economy.
2: I see. So for every person, so in general terms, for every one person, for every person entering the job force, there is half of a job missing.
3: Uh, at least, because you got to remember, too, some of the people who are working today are working, I mean, two or three jobs. In fact, this econ- this generation is one of the most work- worked generations because of uh, the recession. Well, not because of the recession, but because of how expensive the uh, consumer prices have been. I mean, for example, did you, a lot of people don't know this. Consumer prices is highest in 17 years, and wages have consistently been going down for the past Five years, four times in the past five years, wages have seen increasingly going down. But yet, consumer prices, inflation, has risen, and it's the highest in 17 years. So you've got all these kids having to pay off their school loans, living with mommy and daddy, trying to pay for a car, okay, and they have to work two or three jobs. So, again, we have less jobs in the market, but people working two or three jobs. And guess who is being hurt the most in the long-term unemployment aspect? Who? Minorities, predom- I mean, blacks, are, unfortunately, are playing the highest role on this too. Do you know that black people, in, in, in predominantly, their unemployment numbers are almost twice the amount of their white counterparts?
2: Yeah, I think we mentioned that in uh, in uh, our previous podcast about and that. And
3: their salaries are twi- are being hit immensely as well. But then female females have been hit a little bit. But we're also gett tremendously hurt are the the seniors, the ones who said we can't afford to retire.
2: So the senior workforce who cannot re- afford to retire is getting hurt the most.
3: No, I would say blacks and seniors are probably about equal. Hmm. I mean, because blacks, literally, their numbers are almost as twice as high in unemployment as their white counterparts.
2: And these numbers you're quoting them from Department of Labor, or the Department
3: no? of Labor. You yeah. can go to the Department of Labor. They pulled out their information this and uh, in the last in the last couple of weeks, we've been pulling out a lot of this information. Yeah. Okay. In fact, now one of the things, how, why does this affect us? First off, if you can't get a house, I mean, first off, we got a housing market issue, okay, where you're seeing in California, for example, um, our bankruptcies rose 90%. Yeah,
2: that's pretty well-known, right?
3: Right, exactly. Well, not just California, so everybody go ahead and go, oh, gosh, it's just California. No, this is worldwide, but California bankruptcies raised 90% in this past year alone, Okay? So now you've got all these people burning, also burning houses down. We've got tremendous problems with arson happening in California right now, too. For the insurance? Mm-hmm, because <laughs> they can't afford to pay the house. They don't want to go ahead. And- oh, wow, so
2: they'll burn the house because they can't so pay for uh, it.
3: Not just, but not just houses. Businesses are also doing it, too.
2: Wait a minute. You're telling me in California right now people are burning their houses and their businesses fraudulently.
3: There has been some major insurance. problems with it. You can go look this up. You could type in arson. In fact, I think NBC did a uh, report on it recently.
2: Wouldn't, these, wouldn't people think that, okay, if they're all of a sudden all these houses and businesses are burning spontaneously, that there's fraud available so that, that they should be yeah, do it? Yeah, it's
3: how do you prove it? Okay, but, yeah, that's the reason we're seeing. That's why question marks are coming up because there's a lot more fires happening recently, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's sad because what happens is, is that these individuals no longer are stimulating the economy. And every time these people who are not working, they're not helping stimulate the economy. So that means less jobs involved in the economy. You must have, you know, it's got to be like a balance, okay, supply and demand. And the thing is everybody says, okay, we know George Bush is going to be giving us this big, huge, you know, rebate, like how they did back in 2001.
2: And they're like, what, 200 bucks? everybody gets $200, something
3: like It doesn't that? matter how much. You could give us $1,000, but most of these people are not going to. You're not going to see it stimulated in the economy because they're going to be paying off credit card loans. They're going to be paying off housing loans. They're going to be paying off car debts. So it's not going to stimulate the economy. They're going to be paying off school loans. And guess what? This is what happened in 2001. It didn't stimulate the economy. So why are we, again, not learning from our past mistakes? Right now, I just read this. It was so, so sad. Did you know that Citibank right now is going out of their way to make sure that they... I think that's Citibank. Let me, prefer, let me make sure I get this right, okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay, but... i got to say this. Citigroup, one of the largest bank and credit card firms in the United States, has announced announced that it's now building a loan loss reserve in anticipation of possible unraveling of auto loan and credit card debt. At the same time, the bank is now beginning to tighten their credit card lending standards. You think? I've seen people getting credit cards when they shouldn't even have one, my son included. Okay, I'm sorry. But, like, this kid... Has no credit, actually bad credit, and they keep sending me these credit cards, and I'm looking like, whoa, what are you guys doing? I've heard these banks giving them to dead people.
2: To the dead they, people?
3: Yeah, dead how can, people.
2: How can they collect money from dead people?
3: They don't collect it from money, They offer, but they offer the credit cards to it because they're giving it to anybody who breathes. They don't care. I mean, you've heard people say, that, yeah, they, get, they send it to my dog.
2: Is that because if, if in the times of recession people are going to much debt, which, is of course, is profit for them?
3: Well, yeah, see, they want, the bank, The bank, they want you to not pay. They do. They get to sell off your loan. After three months, they have to, the loss states after 90 days, they have to stop claiming. I think 90 or 180 days, they have to stop bugging you. They can no longer ask you to repay the debt. So now they get a loss. They make, in other words, they make money off of this. Insurance-wise, government-wise, they get rebate from the government for this loss. They get all kinds of money, right? And then they go ahead and sell it to this guy, this collection agency, who's going to bug the hell out of you. Well. And the thing is, this has been going on for so long. I mean, all this time, people have been saying, oh, war for talent, war for talent. Well, let me give you an example of those jobs. Somebody just recently responded and said, oh, aerospace, there's a lot of jobs in aerospace. There's a lot of jobs in IT. Wrong. Wrong. The predominant- wait, wait,
2: wait, wait. How can there not be jobs in IT?
3: There are some jobs. There are some jobs in IT. But the majority of jobs.
2: Every uh, time I hear about IT, I always hear about I look. At, there are people looking for software developers to the point that they have, are
3: they. But do they have do they openings?
2: Have, they have to offshore them because they don't have any here. In the country as much because people aren't enrolling in computer science. Oh,
3: uh, is that okay? Here's the deal. So
2: how can there be a shortage of IT help?
3: The pro- Here's the deal. First off.
2: I mean, not shortage, but shortage of jobs. Can I job. say something?
3: First off, looking at the jobs that actually came out into the market and hearing people saying, "Oh, we have a shortage of labor. We have a shortage of labor." First off, number one, you have a shortage of labor. You don't lower salaries. Number two, this year was one. Last year was one of the worst years in illegal H1B visas. Number three, companies complain all the time we can't find good talent. One of the biggest problems we have with talent is communication issues. So they say this is the communication issues. It's a is problem with the employee, the new employees coming out in the workforce from college, right? But what do they do? They go over to the middle. I went mean, to South, to India and other countries and go ahead and hire somebody that can't even speak English properly. Uh, and then they pay these terrible salaries. If they, let me tell you something. You would not go overseas to pay mediocre salaries to people who can't probably even speak English to have your customers pissed off because they can't speak to an American. If you really were wanting to, have, but then unemployment, long term unemployment is at like 18%, which should be 11%. But then because you're going ahead and saying we're being too picky to hire someone who's maybe old or black or somebody like that. And then, okay, of course, raise wages. Now, the thing is, when there was research done just recently, okay, where these guys went into companies because they kept hearing, good talent's hard to find, good talent's hard to find. Well, were there any unfilled positions? No. Were there any openings for these positions? No.
2: So how do you explain that?
3: Because it's kind of like they keep talking about this war for talent. You know, but guess what? Instead, they're firing people. They're letting go of people. They're reducing their job load. We know that for a fact. There were a million less jobs alone last year, and a lot more people fired.
2: Well, you say to the, to the argument that, well, some of these jobs are being cut off because they've learned to automate the process from future experiences of the, of the, of the uh, past recession. They know how to do more with less.
3: That's pretty much what I've been saying in regards to the fact regard, when I kept saying there's no war for talent. That you know, we've learned to do more for less and less for more and everything else, okay? But the issue is, though, is that who they sacrificed. See, because when you stimulate the economy, when you start creating more jobs for people, when you start doing, you start hiring more people and then produce more and you start raising salary, it goes back into the economy. For everybody who's saying, I don't want to see these salaries get raised, because by the way, we've been having problems for the last 20 years. Okay, we have been. Guess when, about, I'll say 10 to 12 years, I'll say that, okay? Yeah. Specifically. Guess when was our last, really, nationwide, when we last had a raise in in, in, in um, minimum wages?
2: When was, we had a raise in minimum wage, uh, what, last year?
3: No, not legally, not nationally. You may be in your city, maybe in your state. By law, Clinton got rid of minimum wage across the country. There's no there was no federal there is no federal increase for the last twelve to fifteen years.
2: And okay, who, I mean And who was president when that increased? Okay,
3: well, it was when Clinton was in power, was in power, but prior to that there still hadn't been one. So let's don't look at Clinton said, Hey, I'm gonna let every state decide for themselves if they want to go ahead and increase wages.
2: Mm.
3: Okay? That was what he decided. Now, that but that doesn't mean that there was a federal increase when he made that empire this rule, okay? Right. But the fact is, we haven't had a federal increase for many, many years. A decade almost. Well, well over a decade, okay? So the problem is, yet now right now, I mean, we, when you look at our I mean, when you look at our how our economy is, okay? The fact that wages have gone down 5 Times actually four times in the last five years. That's almost once a year. Wages are going down, but yet our our economy is the worst it's ever been. In regards to inflation for in in seventeen years. I mean, think about this, okay? That the cost of energy is up seventeen percent. Eggs up two point nine percent. Milk thirteen percent. A car thirty four. Gasoline prices twenty nine percent. Tuition, 6.2%. And even the cost of a funeral is up 5%. You can't even afford to die.
2: You're just a bundle of sunshine today, aren't you? Pardon? You're just a bundle of sunshine today, aren't
3: you? Oh, I'm so angry because you know why? I'll tell you why, okay? You know what I'm talking about, the war, you know, Lacking about this uh, no war for talent and how angry I have been about people promoting this this total scuttlebutt. And I've been saying, look, we're you know we've got to look at the long term unemployment. We need to focus on that because all these people are unemployed. They're hurting. Companies are out there requiring college degrees for secretaries. For God's sake, let me, I'm let sorry. Me, I'm angry here. Let
2: me clarify some of this for someone who who may not be a uh, regular listener. There's been a long longstanding, uh, I won't say feud, I'll say argument on one side uh, where uh, certain experts have been purporting that there is a war for talent and you need to uh, hire as many as you can because it's harder and harder to find good talent, whereas Karen, on the other hand, has been saying there's not a war for talent uh, for the reason she's been uh, stating in this past.
3: Exbounding. Yelling, screaming.
2: Yelling, screaming on the air and off the air. <laughs> Goes back to the long suffering part of this program in the podcast. But, so, fin- finish your argument as to why there's not, because I I read consistently and I hear from a lot of people, people okay. I respect, that they're. And,
3: yeah, and the ones that we respect also, this is one of them. Let me see what this one individual said just recently about. No me.
2: names, please.
3: No names, okay. Matinen prefers uninformed simplicity to subtle and complex analysis. Yeah, she says there's no labor shortage. If you get the right people and treat them well, if you do, then your competitors will be the ones with a labor shortage. Well, okay, duh. That's what this person said about me. Right. I, I'm sorry, but I do my background research. I don't depend on go uh, on Bloomberg for my information. I definitely don't aspire, uh, attend, um, you know, depend on Wall Street Journal. I go to the sources. And what I've been looking at is what the main economists have been saying. Don't look. At unemployment. I mean, I'm sorry.
2: Don't look at unemployment. What do you mean? The
3: unemployment numbers were wrong, and we obviously have seen that. You cannot have a million less jobs adding to the economy with that many more people also coming into the economy every year. And then on top of that, telling me there's no unemployment, the unemployment <laughs> didn't go get worse. How could that be? I mean, so that's when I was scratching my head last year. Last year, John August, especially when I saw a million people lose their jobs just from the housing reala- you know, the housing financial market.
2: Right, the housing bubble.
3: Right, and I saw unemployment go up 4.5 percent still, and yet people, were, and then the government was saying, "Oh, the economy was at its best." We have people I've seen right here in America we were having trem- right here in California we're having just tremendous number of people you know doing um foreclosures on their houses right right a lot of bankruptcy in fact bankruptcy numbers up also eighty something percent highest ever then I'm seeing major issues about credit card debt and I'm like, what are these guys saying the economy's good they're not
2: and and I, and I know from our earlier conversations online and off that you think a lot of this is just is primarily around election year spin?
3: I think it's a lot to try to create the war spin and allow it to keep money funding funding to the war spin. That's what I believe. Let's keep being able to fund, you know, because they kept raising the debt level of America, too. If we could keep raising the debt level in America, then we could then say we're still not in debt. Okay, and then we could keep America's people head up in the clouds and let them. If we keep saying unemployment's at the lowest ever, still 4.5 percent, even though we had a million less jobs coming into the economy, and then we see wages the worst they've been in over five years.
2: And these again are statistics you're quoting from the Department of Labor. From the
3: Department of Labor.
2: So, so is that the news? So, so when you hear all these contrary views to what you're saying. Uh, that was
3: last year. Now people are talking about it. Now they're all like, Oh, okay, we should take our heads out of our butts and now pay attention. Now it's now coming the big news. Now the same people who are calling me a detractor and saying I was wrong, they're now going, Oh, maybe we should be looking at this. Well duh. You think
2: feeling vindicated?
3: No, actually I'm not. Because I feel like actually I feel like frustrated because there's so much we could have done to prevent this.
2: What would you suggest that could have done could have been, could have been done to uh, change this from happening now?
3: For one thing, I'll just say, sure, we stopped using all that you know, total. Ugh, I'm going to say the word BS, okay? About war for talent when there never was a war for talent because predominantly, especially the majority of jobs that were open this last year were predominantly waiters and waitresses. Only 50,000 of those jobs were in IT or engineering or sciences. In IT? Yes. See,
2: every time you say IT, I always have my eyebrow goes up like, what? Because you know I'm on the front line of that, and I'm always looking for folks who are software developers. That's why I was here like,
3: eh. Okay, but the problem is, the question is, see, people are always looking, and they're stocking up on the resumes. But were they hiring? And how many, pa- how many positions right now does the companies have that are not filled because they reported it as being open? You've got to make a report. If you're a government contractor especially, you've got to report your positions and needs. You've got to do a nice little report, especially for compliance, okay? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why Department of Labor gets a lot of this stuff too, you know? So how do you – so the question is, you report these positions are open – You fill these positions, but then you're still looking for more people. That's common. But then you go to people like, we're looking for these people. Then also, by the way, this is what's interesting – they were looking for these. This is how urgent these positions need to be filled, okay? Because they're taking three to six months to fill them, All okay? Right. All right. And they go ahead and say, um, we know we need to fill this position and we really need it badly, but we must have a college degree for a secretary, and we must make sure that she speaks English 505, okay? And we must make sure that she comes from an elite high school college, and we must make sure she's born with a. Oh, maybe let's even make. Maybe she should be blonde. Maybe she should have blue eyes. I don't know.
2: So you're saying that some of these jobs that they're asking for, they're waiting for the perfect person?
3: They want, them, they want the Queen of Sheba to walk in that door, and they're willing to sit down and wait until they get the Queen of Sheba. And then they really won't classify it as an open position until the Queen of Sheba walks in, because there really isn't that much need. If there was a need, if there was, so you think if there,
2: if there was a need, they would train or lower the standards, or maybe not lower the standards, but you
3: wouldn't need a college degree for a secretary, for example. You would look at experience. Well, that's, not, that's
2: experience not every company. Service. I know the company you're talking of, and every company does not require a college degree. A lot degree. of
3: companies, companies, not not just number one. I'm talking about several. I'm talking about several because we see this right now. The, the college degree thing has become so prevalent; it has been a huge factor in America. And I don't understand because they won't look through three magic words r equivalent experience. And what does that do? You know why? Because you can get with using the R equivalent experience, you can get rid of an individual who, Madame, um, Baby Boomer, for example, who didn't go to college.
2: Because the computer science degree is only, what, 10 years old? 20,
3: 85. Okay. That's in computer science world, yeah. Let's go ahead and, I mean, it's not as if people can't have experience working in the job for 25 years doing the same thing, but no, instead of training the employees you have as well, you're going out there and you're looking. Instead of trying to train and promote from within, no, I'm sorry
2: and that's because it's if you can get someone outside you can From charge India? pay them Pay them cheaper.
3: Yeah, why? I mean, see. Okay, we got problems. We have issues with communication problems. But let's go find somebody who can't speak English properly and pay them a hell of a lot less.
2: There are a lot of people in India who speak better English than we do.
3: I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with that. But there's a lot of them who can't speak English very well and don't have the very full comprehension. There are a
2: lot of Americans who can't speak English exactly. well. Okay. Yes. Yeah,
3: <laughs> you know what? The difference is, is that they get to pay them four bucks an hour, and they'd have to pay us twelve. Hmm. And you know what? That's the reason last year we had, I mean, a tremendous number of illegal H-1B visas. I'm, I, I'm sorry, but you've got people working. Mike's son works three jobs, three jobs, trying to keep himself above water, keep his head floating. Do you love, I mean, In a way, he's taking two jobs from people.
2: Is, would, he, would he be a good sample? I mean, is, his situation may be unique.
3: No, because he's not. A lot of his friends also have two or three jobs. This is very common with the people of his age group. We can't, I mean, again, inflation is the worst it has been in 17 years. Salaries are going backwards, not forwards. In other words, you today are making less money than your grandfather.
2: Uh, Being adjusted for inflation. In adjusted
3: for inflation. My right, over $12,000, and what's even sadder, we tend not to notice it as well because we have two income households. Problem is, if your wife or I stop working, my household could fall apart. I know, but at least back in those good old days when daddy was the only one working, if daddy stopped working because something happened, mommy could go to work and she could help. But you don't have that here in America anymore. People buy based upon two incomes. They live based upon two incomes. So should one income ever go away or expire, that's the end of that family. And you know what? It's so interesting. Hmm. Do you know that America, oh my gosh, in regards to poverty, do you know that the wealth in America is that ninety percent of the population actually two percent of the population owns 90 percent of our wealth? Now Japan is the next wealthiest country in the world,
2: and they're having a Dickens of a time right but now. But no, too. Japan
3: actually, you know what? They're almost equal. Almost their whole population, the wealth is equally distributed. Do you know also what's interesting? Did you know that America pretty much is one of the only countries that their own people will think that it's our, it's an individual's responsibility, not the government's responsibility, to help individuals.
2: It's a, it's a individual responsibility to help themselves. Sure.
3: Um, that's pretty much. Do you know that we're pretty much the only country who believes that?
2: So if someone, if, if I am ambitious and want to start a business, and someone else does not, and I start to make money and make make, um, I start to make money and start to improve my lifestyle and so forth. Mm-hmm. And whereas the other person on the side does not then I should be responsible for them because they don't wanna do their own business or they don't wanna do something to help themselves so I gotta be responsible for them.
3: You see that's where we gonna get kinda of confused about responsibility, unresponsibility, who's responsible, who's not responsible, that kind of stuff, okay? In regards to, for example, wages and et cetera. I'm working hard just like you do, okay, and we all have that experience um, to do our job as well as we can. Problem is, it's the economy or our government who keeps giving tax breaks to the rich. But we don't think of it that way.
2: Well, that's a whole other well, thing. Wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Look at the time on the clock says this podcast is about over. Any parting oh. words uh, to sum all this up? I'm
3: going to say something that. This is back in 2002. This is going to catch you. There
2: are
3: 35 million black people in the United States. The annual earnings of this community added up to $450 billion. Now, it's not quite fair to compare annual earnings to net worth, but you've got to tell you, the CEOs, they were getting pretty much to $500 billion. But it remains remarkable in America that 30 people in this country have assets that are greater than the 35 million black people in the United States. Now the thing is, we keep giving allowing these the rich to become richer in America, and we assume that we to helping our poor or helping ourselves because guess what? you're now considered poor. I'm now considered poor because guess what There's no more middle class right now in America. We have gotten rid of the middle class when you've got two percent of America's population controlling 85 to ninety percent of our wealth. It's time to wake up and see what's going on.
2: And on that note, uh, we're going to cease the podcast at this point. Uh Uh, I do appreciate uh, you guys listening to those who are still here. (laughs)
3: <laughs> and I, and no, 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 no. I, I don't want to
2: discount that it's not important what you're saying I'm just It's just my way of teasing Karen So don't don't take it that I'm not taking this as seriously as she he is
3: He is, he really is. Uh, he
2: is I just like to tease Karen quite a bit But if you have any questions or comments about any of these things That Karen has been ranting about um, Feel free to give us an email You can reach me at Jim Stroud That's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D At Jim com Or Karen, K-A-R-E-N At com, And It's been fun.
3: It has been. Thank you for letting me run. I needed to get that off my chest. Oh, I
2: know it. I wanted to share it with the world.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You just didn't want to hear it anymore. (laughs) Uh, So,
2: let's all say bye-bye. Bye-bye,
3: Jim.
2: Bye-bye.
0: If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, I want to know about it. You can leave a comment concerning this podcast on my website at www.jimstroud.com. In addition to finding source material and related information for this podcast episode, you'll find other goodies that I hope will make you smile. And if you have not already, please subscribe to my website. Your continued support keeps this podcast train chugging down the track.